Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Vlad, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. A little over a month ago, I was wrapping up my work here in the office, and I decided to make the trek over to Costco, right? At the end of the day, I needed to pick up some diapers and some chips and all the things you get at Costco. And as I pull into the parking lot um, around 5 o'clock, the parking lot is packed, right? When is the Costco parking lot not packed? But in that window between Thanksgiving, or it was a little bit before Thanksgiving, you can imagine it was even more full, fuller than usual. And as I'm circling the parking lot trying to find a space to park, I notice something that's sort of out of place. There's somebody standing near the entrance of Costco, you know where the big garage door opens and they put all the carts in, so there's always a cart ready for you at Costco? And as I get out of my car and I make my way into the building, I I see what's happening. There's a man standing there, a a big, domineering, tall, brooding man in a gray sweatshirt holding a big sign. And the sign says, righteousness or damnation. You've encountered people like this before, right? You've, You've seen these signs before. This man considers himself a prophet, a spokesperson for God, so to speak. And he's standing there at Costco to let all of us know as we go in to buy our diapers and chips that we better seek righteousness or we might face damnation. Now, a rule of thumb for me personally is just to not engage with those folks. Back when I was in college, I used to love to engage with those folks. They would come to Ohio State's campus every year, and they would be out on the Oval with their big signs, Brother Jed and Sister Sally, and they would yell at students and scream at them, and and shock and awe evangelism, right? Let's draw a crowd so that we can preach and pontificate about all these things that we think are true, which really are usually not the gospel, So as I walk in, I sort of just wave at them, real friendly-like, and walk right in, and I get my diapers, and I get my chips, and all the things. And as I come out of Costco, I notice he's not there anymore. I get into my car, load all the things in my car, and I'm driving out on the main road, and it dawns on me, I left something here, and I needed to make my way back to Prince of Peace. So I'm driving on the main road, and there's a car in front of me. We're stopped at a light. The light changes. The car moves into the other lane. And wouldn't you know it, the car in front of that car had that big sign in the back window that said, Righteousness or Damnation. And I'm thinking, man, if you keep blocking your rearview mirror, you're going to meet your maker pretty soon, buddy. Um, But there it was. And now the really strange thing, uh, we're driving, and... I'm right behind this car the whole way. And where do you think that car ends up going? 101 South Lebanon Road, Prince of Peace Lutheran Church. The car pulls into our parking lot, and it drives right over there by our sign out front. Right there. 
And I park over here, and I make my way in, and I'm still thinking, don't engage. Maybe, maybe just maybe they're, they're just making a phone call, and they'll be on their way. I, I kind of get out of my car, and I come into the church, and I'm looking out my window, my office, and wouldn't you know it, out steps that big brooding man in the gray hooded sweatshirt, and he, he's reaching in the back seat, and he pulls out a sign, and he decides to stand right there right next to our sign, Prince of Peace Lutheran Church, with his sign. And now I'm thinking, <sighs> you got to engage. I need to go out there and I need to say, you need to get your yellow, no good, stinking keister off our prop, right? No, I, I can't have this. That is an antithetical message to the Lutheran witness of what the gospel is. But we know far too often uh, people use that sort of um, line or track to try to promote their version of the gospel. And we know that it does injury. It does harm to people. The whole premise is this, right? You need to live a moralistic life. You need to live an ethical life. You need um, to practice what I like to call sin management, and that's what it's all consumed with, isn't it? Right behavior. And if you don't live according to the law, if you're not living righteously, well then, my goodness, you're going to be sent to eternal hell and gnashing, weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? That is not the Lutheran witness of the gospel. That's not the Christian witness of the gospel. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are saved by grace, through faith. Righteousness is not at all about our moral behavior. Righteousness is about being made into right relationship with God, not through what we do, but through what Christ has done for us as gift. And so I walk out the entrance and I go over to engage with this guy and I said, hey, buddy, what you got there? <laughs> he doesn't know I'm the pastor of the church at this time. And he says, uh, I got a sign. It's telling people. Telling people the truth. And he's not even really making eye contact with me. He's just looking at the intersection because that's where the action is. That's where all the cars are. And, um, and I said, uh, well, what are you doing? And he said, I'm, I'm out here to tell people that they need to seek righteousness or they might face eternal damnation. And I said, oh, Interesting. Very interesting. I said, I'm one of the pastors here at Prince of Peace, and, um, and I think we have a different method, right? I've learned over the years that you can't engage. You, you can't convince somebody who's willing to stand on a street corner with a megaphone on a soapbox. You will not change their mind. And so I had to take a different approach, and this was my approach. I said, you know, this is your method of evangelism, and you know, I respect that. I respect your courage. I respect your willingness to be out here. You know, we have a slightly different approach here, and um, I know because we're Christian brothers, right? We probably have far more in common than we disagree about, which might or might not be true. Um, I said, have you considered that part of our ministry here at Prince of Peace is we have AA meetings, we have Gamblers Anonymous, we, we, we do some work, we open our building to the recovery community, and that community, that community has been beat up 
through this type of evangelism, right? Your type of evangelism might reach some, um, right? But have you considered that our ministry here wants to create sacred, safe space for folks who need recovery? And if they think that righteousness or damnation, a message they've heard a lot about their own brokenness, their own faults, is what we're preaching as a church, they might not come into this space and hear the message of hope, love, the gospel that they need. So would you consider going to another street corner? And he said, well, I haven't thought of that. I said, well, would you? He's like, well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And off he went. And I walked into the building feeling like, you know, the best pastor ever. Um, But we got rid of him. The point of that, right, is that so often we have oriented around the word righteousness in the wrong way. Now in Matthew chapter 1, the birth narrative of Jesus that we get from Matthew's gospel, we have Joseph front and center. He's the character here for us to explore today. Now, did you know, this is a really interesting little tidbit, as well known as Joseph is, Mary's Joseph, do you know that he never speaks a word? There's never a quote attributed to him in all of the Gospels? It's fascinating. Joseph is this quiet yet faithful character sort of in the background of the manger scene. In Luke's version of the gospel, the angel comes to visit Mary. And we hear from Mary. We hear Mary's song. We've meditated on Mary's song and and her response to the angel coming to visit. We we see Mary go and visit her cousin Elizabeth. We, We have a lot of character development around how Mary reacts to the news that she will bear a son through the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, on the other hand, we only have a few details about him. What we're told is that Joseph was a righteous man. Now, how do we interpret that? We hear that in the context of Joseph learning that the woman that he was betrothed to was now pregnant. And now a betrothal or an engagement in the time that Mary and Joseph lived was different than an engagement that we think of today. Engagements today, although tragic, can be broken off. But a betrothal or an engagement for Mary and Joseph was actually already legally binding. There were two steps to the marriage process. The first was the engagement or betrothal, which was actually a legally binding covenant, where usually the man, Joseph, made an agreement with the bride's father. There would have been an exchange of of resources or goods often. And then there was a long period of time, sometimes up to a year, from then the wedding feast. They're already legally married, but they haven't consummated the wedding. And this, this length of time between the two was often because a wedding feast would last for well over a week. And resources were often scarce. And so families had longer to prepare and to accumulate the necessary food and the wine and all of the the trappings that came with the wedding feast. 
So Joseph, Joseph's learned that Mary's pregnant. And the only logical conclusion for him is that she's been unfaithful. Can you imagine his heartbreak, his heartache, the knot in his stomach that, that the woman he was hoping to spend the rest of his life with had been unfaithful? This would have brought immediate shame upon Joseph and Joseph's entire family. And so Joseph has two choices to make. He could have, according to the law, exposed her publicly, which would have resulted almost immediately in Mary's stoning and death. Or Joseph could dismiss her quietly through a decree of divorce. Now we're told that he's a righteous man, and so he chooses to dismiss her quietly which gives us some hope that Joseph still cares for Mary. He wants to do the right thing. But I've also wondered if Joseph being called righteous wasn't also an attribution of Joseph wanting to still live according to the moralistic law of the land. Joseph could not bring shame or dishonor upon his family or upon his himself. He was concerned with being a righteous person. Joseph had lived according to the law, according to the social customs of his day. How could he bring this shame, this infidelity, this sin into his own life? He couldn't do it. Joseph was focused with the world's definition of righteousness. But then Joseph falls asleep and an angel comes to visit. And in the dream, the angel tells Joseph that Mary has conceived by the Holy Spirit, that she will bear a son, and that Joseph is to name the son Jesus. God saves. Joseph is told in the dream that Jesus will grow up to save his people from their sins. Joseph wakes up from the dream. And he chooses the third option. The option that according to the righteousness of the world and the world's definition wasn't even an option. Jesus decides to trust God and to stay committed to Mary. I wonder if what's happening here Inside of Joseph is a reorientation of how he thinks of righteousness. Joseph could be viewed in many ways as one of the first disciples in the way of grace. You see, the logical, righteous thing to do would be to purify yourself and keep yourself and your family free of this sin and shame. But maybe, just maybe, Joseph is learning that true righteousness will come as a gift through faith. And so the challenge for Joseph is to cling to that faith in what the angel has spoken and to display quiet courage. You see, it took great courage for Joseph to face all of the ridicule, all of the rumors, all of the things that people were throwing around in Nazareth, right? Who else do you really think would believe Joseph and Mary 
with their fantastic vision. They, everyone would have known that they had not had the marriage feast. They had not consummated the marriage. This would have been viewed as an illegitimate pregnancy. All of the shame, all of the ridicule, all of the piling on, Joseph had to cling to that faith and that promise of the angel and display quiet courage. Standing next to Mary, I imagine often shielding her from the insults and the rumors and the ridicule. And what a role Joseph must have played in the life of Jesus. Now certainly Jesus had his earthly father figure, Joseph. He had his heavenly father figure. But I find it really interesting how throughout Christ's ministry, he would would teach and he would refer to a father. Could it not be that as Jesus was teaching about a father's love, he had Joseph in mind? Not only God the Father? Think about it. When Jesus teaches the famous parable about the father who runs out into the field to greet his son who was lost that is now found, could Jesus not have been thinking about the way that Joseph loved him, came into his life, displaying quiet courage? When Jesus taught about how Earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. Could he not be thinking about how Joseph gave the greatest gift of all, solidarity and faith? When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he taught them to pray, Abba, Father, Abba, Daddy. Joseph likely had a profound impact on the life and ministry of Jesus that I think we often gloss over. And here's the thing that I find really encouraging about the story of Joseph and Mary, our holy family. Often, this time of year, when we think of the holy family, we sanitize it. We put a soft amber glow around them, don't we? Think of your nativity sets. There's one right here in the office. It's a beautiful white porcelain nativity set. The light almost glows off of the nativity. And there's Mary, usually pictured with her blue sash and her rosy cheeks, looking fondly at Jesus. And there's Joseph with his beard and a paternalistic, quiet confidence as he stands there so certain. But the truth about the holy family is that they were wholly human. The holy family had their fair share of drama and challenges. They faced ridicule. They probably were mocked. And even though Joseph responds with such faith when he wakes up from that dream, I have to think that Joseph had his moments of doubt and confusion, wondering in the middle of the night, is this worth it? (laughs) And yet the witness we have is a quiet courage. And here's the really good news for us. Why did God choose to send Jesus into the world this way? Couldn't it have been easier? (laughs) I think God chose to send Christ this way, God Emmanuel, through an imperfect, drama-laden family to show us that our drama-laden, imperfect, 
broken families are also vessels in this world for God's love, grace, and true righteousness to be revealed. There's really good news through the story of Mary and Joseph. It's that your family with all of its drama and all of its baggage and all of the things you'd rather tuck away in closets and hide are actually capable of being a vessel through which God will reveal true righteousness, the gift of grace. Now, I know many of your stories, but not all of them. And I know my own story. And I can tell you that there's not one family in this congregation that is perfect. We all have our scars, our doubts, our trouble, our drama, the things of which we're ashamed. We've been through it. But if Joseph teaches us anything, if he encourages us with any message on this fourth Sunday of Advent, it's whatever measure of faith we might have to cling to it, to hold on to it and to step out in faith displaying a quiet courage. You see, courage doesn't need to be a brave, bold act for all to see. It can be as simple as putting an arm around that woman you're betrothed to and pulling her in a little bit tighter to let her know that you too, you too will face all of the ridicule and all of the shame to come because together you're clinging to the promise that God has spoken. And so this year, this Christmas, may you cling to God's promise for you, for your family, for the world. And even if you think, my family is so broken, so messed up, you don't know our story, Pastor. Well, God does. And God has redeemed it through a child that was born that grew, that taught, that loved, that poured out his life. And our righteousness, our grace comes as pure gift. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.